the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, good morning. Well, it's good to see all of you here. Uh, I know that there are some also who are live streaming. If you've been with us the past couple of weeks, uh, what you may not know is that we are studying the longest section of the New Testament on the subject of church discipline. What's more is that in all of Paul's writings, there is no other Pauline writing or teaching that speaks more forcefully about the seriousness of sin, the holiness of God, the holiness of the church, and how we are to stand corporately before Him as a church. And we are in our third and final sermon in our series, Discipline or Defilement. And this title summarizes the entirety of chapter 5, which we've been studying. And the idea is simply that we can choose to either practice church discipline in any step, whether it's one-on-one, admonishing, rebuking, confronting sin, or proceeding all the way through the four steps, or be defiled as a church. Last week, we looked at the powerful ill effects of not dealing with sin the influence or leavening power that one person has in the entire body. Today, we will continue this series by looking at four clarifications to avoid defiling the church. Four clarifications that we must understand. Four clarifications to avoid defiling the church. We'll see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9-13. through 13. Follow along as I read those. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, closing out the chapter in verses 9 through 13. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. For clarifications... To avoid defiling the church. The first clarification or first point this morning is the exception to the rule. The exception to the rule. Look at verse nine, verses 9 and 10 again. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, that is outside of the church, unbelievers, or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters, again, speaking of unbelievers, for then you would have to go out of the world. Now, in the canon of Scripture, in the New Testament, we have two letters that Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, understanding that the ultimate author was the Holy Spirit. 
What Paul is referring to when he says, I wrote to you previously, is a previous letter that we don't have. It's not in the Scriptures, but it was a letter that the church of Corinth had received from the Apostle Paul. In that letter, according to verse 9 of 1 Corinthians, he told the church of Corinth not to associate with immoral people. And we can safely assume he kind of left it at that with, as a general principle. Now, when he says immoral people, again, he's talking about, and this is what the Greek word is referring to, sexually immoral, okay? We know in English, immorality speaks of no morals or lack of morals or defunct mor- morality, but here it is explicitly speaking of those who engage in sexual immorality. And again, what is this referencing to? It's re- referencing that particular individual in that church 2,000 years ago who was allowed to stay in the church, who they were even bragging in some way about their sin, that person's sin, and it was sexual immorality. It was in, uh, specifically incest, and so he starts off with this. Much like today, this was a common activity in ancient Corinth, sexual immorality, to the point that the city was actually well known for this in the ancient world. And when you think about the Roman Empire and how much there were things that people could be known for, for an entire city to be known for this is pretty astonishing. Now, you take that to today, there's no, at least in the United States, there's no particular city that's known for this because we're all known for this. Every city is known for this. It's the norm. It's the status quo. And what Paul was telling them back then was that they were not to mingle or socially associate in a close way with anyone who they knew to be engaging in illicit sexual activity. The word associate means to, uh, to regular association. Literally, the Greek means mix up with, okay? Don't socially interact with these people. The word he uses here, associate, as it's translated for us, is actually a more intense word, uh, the Greek word of mix up with, and it refers to intimate or close company. And it seems that this original statement, do not associate with immoral people, in this previous letter, which we don't have, was misunderstood to a certain degree by the Corinthians. They thought that Paul meant all immoral people in the world, whereas he only meant immoral people, unrepentant immoral people in the church, those who claim to be Christians. And Paul goes on to say, by the way, I'm going to use a phrase like that, and he even says that, so-called brother, those who call themselves Christians, the, those who claim to be Christians. In the context of this passage, and I'll clarify this more later, this is all Christians. Sometimes we, we, we use this term to refer to those who claim to be Christians, but we are pretty sure are not Christians. But in our, for our context this morning, this is all Christians, including myself and yourself. We all claim to be Christians. Some are, some aren't. Now, Paul goes on to say that it would be impossible to disassociate with all immoral people in the world because the world is full of immoral people. The whole world is full of immoral people, especially in their context of Corinth, as I just explained, right? The world is just rampant with sexually immoral people, especially in Burlingame. Excuse me. I I meant especially in the Bay Area. Uh, Nope especially in California, nope, 
I don't know what's wrong with me today. What I meant to say was especially today in the entire modern world. Nope, not, that's not. Especially in ancient Corinth. You get my point. It's everywhere here today. If Paul meant all immoral people, the only way they could disassociate from these people would be to go out of the world, which is an exaggeration. You can't do that. And we don't know how the Corinthians' misunderstanding played out, but he's correcting them here. You can see the wrong result or misinterpretation of this on either extreme end of the spectrum. Either they found this, as Paul says here, to be impossible, right? They thought he meant all immoral people in the world, so they said, well, this is impossible. We can't do that. This is Corinth. So, their response was to completely ignore the instruction, including their associations with immoral in the church. Or, on the other end of the spectrum, they did try to avoid all immoral people and thus cut all contact with the outside world, with unbelievers. Neither of those is acceptable. It is neither acceptable to ignore the instruction of Scripture or, as some have tried in the history of mankind, to disassociate from the world and just go up on a mountainside and become a monk. Or, as some of you are very familiar with, start making rules to somehow morally disassociate with those people, such as if you're in full-time ministry, it is forbidden to get married. Doesn't work, and it's all unacceptable. After all, we are neither to tolerate such sin in the church nor remove our influence on the world through testimony and evangelism. And he lists some other sins here that he mentions other than immorality. I do want to unpack these other sins, and I will, but I'll do that in our next point, in our next verse, because he lists these same sins, but actually adds more in the next verse. But the point here is that there is an exception to the rule of disassociating with or from unrepentant sinners, and that exception is non-Christians, unbelievers, those who claim to be unbelievers or rather probably uh, more commonly do not claim to be Christians. And we'll talk more about this later. We need to remember why we're here. And I don't mean in this room. I mean why we're here on earth. We are to be in the world as salt and light, but not of the world. You've heard that before. Be in the world, physically present, interact, be a, a good member of society, but you are not to be of the world, which means you are not to have worldly thinking, worldly ways. Now, it's easy to have the in-the-world part of it down. You just have to exist. But the reason we are here is so we can practice the Great Commission, not just to be in the world, to use the world for our personal profit. More money, happiness, house, cars, home, all of those things. If you just see the world as a means to an end, even if that end, and listen carefully, even if that end is worship with believers and attending church, then you're wrong. The world is a means. What are the means? You need to make money to survive, to eat. You need to have relationships to influence people. You need to own and rent a home to shelter your kids so they can survive, so you can disciple them. 
but that ability to survive is not just so you can survive and enjoy all the spoils of the world, but so you can represent Christ. God gives you money. God gives you a house. God gives you the ability to live and survive and to have food and things which, yes, you are allowed to enjoy, but it's a means to an end, and it is for influence of the gospel to shelter your kids so you can disciple them, so you can preach the gospel to them. And if and when they get saved, you can train them to do the same. Be happy. Be overjoyed. Weep in gratitude. And a holy type of pride in your child, I'm so happy that you made it and you've gotten married and you've bought a home, and what a beautiful home it is. Enjoy it. But son, preach the gospel. Do what I raised you to do. Think about it. Everything God wants us to do, we do stained with sin. I am preaching to you the Word of God as influenced by my sin. You are listening, trying to focus, trying to apply. You will leave here trying to change your life based on these words, but stained by sin. So if God really wanted us to just worship, just be together, just know His Word, we would not be here. We would be in heaven where we will worship perfectly. Not human orchestra perfection, but sinless perfection. You will know the Word without your biases, without your, "Uh, that's tough to do. You will know it perfectly. You will understand it perfectly. You will know Him perfectly, sinless. There is only one thing that God wants us to do that we cannot do in heaven, which is evangelize because the unbelievers will not be there. If you think it's a noble thing as a Christian just to disassociate from the world and just because I just need to study the Bible all the time, then you miss the whole point of why you're here. It's not the point. Again, if, if that was the point, you would be in heaven where God would have you know it perfectly. We are here for a reason, salt and light, to evangelize, to be a testimony. Man, things are bad out there, right? The immorality, not just sexual, all immorality in our world, things are getting worse and worse. It doesn't even shock us anymore. Stuff that shocked you 10, 15 years ago, you see walking on the street and say, I'm pretty sure he was not born a he, doesn't shock you anymore. Some of your favorite actors and actresses and newscasters who you watch, you hang on their words, are living a lifestyle that would have shocked you just 10 years ago. But you're immune to it now. We're okay with it. But do you know how much worse things would be without the church? Salt and light is not just the gospel. It it centers around the gospel, but it's not just evangelism. Just by the way we live and being part of the community, how we vote, how we raise our kids, how we live in this community, how we say, no, 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 that's not okay. 
how we tell our teachers, no, 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 we don't want you to teach that. Power in numbers. Salt preserves. Do you understand by your very existence and the existence of the church over the last 2,000 years, as bad as things are going, we've slowed down by God's grace and God's power. We have slowed down the decay of this otherwise piece of rotting meat we call earth. I'm not talking about the planet. I'm talking about the people. They live in darkness. That's why God calls it the light. They live in darkness, and we are to shine the light of the gospel and living out the gospel. But I think a lot of times we say, uh, you know, I actually have no problem being in this world. I think it's fair to say that many of us struggle to long for Christ's coming, to long for the rapture, to long with, be with Him because like, yeah, I'm just mm, about to get that promotion. Well, yeah, I, I want Christ to come, but I'm engaged, and I, you, He knows I've been wanting a family. He knows I've been wanting to be married. Can I just, can He just, come when you want, come when you want, but can you maybe just wait till a few more people get saved or watch my kids first step? Or We need to be careful. And this is even what Paul's talking about, right? He, he's saying like, oh, no, no. Don't disassociate from the world, silly. I think a lot of times we're doing the opposite. We, we love the world too much, and I think we, we need to be careful. We don't see what God has put us in, what God has given us as license to be in the world and of the world. 1 John 2.15 is perhaps one of the most powerful and convicting passages for the average Christian living in Silicon Valley. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John says it over and over again in 1 John. And in case the wording is confusing, he's basically saying if you love the world, you're not a Christian. Not if you love the world, you're not acting like a Christian. If you love the world, you're not a Christian because you can't serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. You, you can't have two. How, how refreshing it is. How refreshing it is when I counsel people who are walking away from the Lord and I tell them, hey, you can't serve two masters. And he's, they, they say, I, I'm not. I'm full on just serving the world now, and I know that. That's refreshing. And I think you get why. No, I'm not. You know, I can have both. Man, then that, that's tough. That's tough. That's a tough counseling situation when they think they're fine because they don't see it. We need to be careful. Back to 1 Corinthians. The disassociation from such people, regardless of their sin, does not apply to the unbelieving world for salt and light reasons. Let me give you a second clarification that we need to avoid or clarification we need to have, rather, to avoid defiling the church. The explanation of the requirement We've seen the exception to the rule, unbelievers, and now the explanation of the requirement, verse 11. But actually, and now he clarifies, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So Paul clarifies even further, and what he was saying in his last letter, again, the one we don't have, when he said not to associate with flagrant, unrepentant sinners, 
is only applicable if that person says he is a Christian. does not matter whether you think he's a Christian or not. If he claims to be a Christian, this applies. So be careful not to view this term, as I kind of alluded to earlier, so-called brother as sarcasm or even as an insult as we would today, right? Oh, okay, let's meet this so-called girlfriend of yours, right? We use that term uh, jokingly. That's not what he's doing here. Take it more literally. It refers to someone who genuinely calls himself a believer. That's why the ESV says, bears the name of brother, or NIV, calls himself a brother. Ultimately, we can't know the heart. We can't truly know who is a real believer or not because you cannot know their heart. And we can all be fooled by externals. You can have a pretty strong belief that I, your pastor, am a Christian, but ultimately you cannot know because you don't know my heart. And so, we can only apply church discipline based on what people profess, based on what people say. And discipline must be done on all of those. To be clear, do not associate means for the professing Christian church discipline. This would be when you get to step four. And again, in this whole chapter, Paul doesn't mention the steps, but it's back in Matthew 18. So if he's put out of the church, at that point, you do not associate with these people. At the end of the verse, Paul elaborates and explains that it isn't just removal from the church or mean he can't come anymore or even just uh, disallowed from the early church practice of sharing a meal together. When they would get together, they would eat a meal together. We used to do this once a month. They would do it every time. He says not even to eat with such a one, meaning we are not to have social interaction with them outside of the church. We are to call them to repentance. We are to evangelize them. But that's different than a social interaction. Casual social interactions, hanging out, these are forbidden. Obviously, there are certain exceptions where this is unavoidable. Family members, bosses, things like that. There will be more interaction. But as a general rule, they are cut out from the church and our lives outside of admonishment and evangelism. And this goes back to the purity of the church. We understand that keeping Christ's bride pure is very important in terms of removing the believer from the church. And you get that. You get that the church is not a building, right? We are the church. Church isn't just for a couple hours on Sunday morning, right? Well, grammatically it is based on your context, but as the individuals, we don't stop being the church because we're separated. We didn't stop being the church because we were sheltering in place, right? We are all still the church. And so it's not just about Sunday mornings. It's about even our personal lives and how we interact with these people. It's purity of the bride of Christ. And I do understand that this is still a hard concept for many people. But imagine... One of your best friends is getting married. Everyone's happy. 
Everyone's excited. It's the night before. You're at the wedding rehearsal dinner. And you happen to be going to the bathroom out in the hallway of the hotel and you hear two people talking. And you look around the corner and it's one of the groomsmen talking to the bride. And you listen closer and he's trying to get her drunk and to seduce her the night before her wedding. You wouldn't pull him aside and say, hey, brother, we're all tempted, man. God loves you. It's okay. You'd kick him out of the restaurant. You'd kick him out of the hotel, and he would be forbidden from getting anywhere near that wedding tomorrow. That's church discipline. Church discipline and the purity of the bride of Christ is even more serious than the illustration I just gave you. And that's what unrepentant sin does to us the bride of Christ when we don't deal with it. It's sickening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.